In today's world, just about any lifestyle is accepted, condoned, and even propagated. But what does God's Word have to say about the way we live? Were we created for specific functions in the family unit? The more we understand marriage, the more we appreciate the wonderful love that Christ has for us. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. God did create man and woman equally, but with different functions and different roles within the family and within society. But the family has been under satanic attack ever since Eve's temptation in the Garden of Eden. So just how is God's plan for the family being devalued in today's culture? Stay tuned for the next 15 minutes as we discuss creation and God's plan for the family. Each person in a family can have several different roles. You can be a wife, mother, daughter, and sister, or a husband, father, son, and brother. The important thing is that we all have a part in a family setting, and God has given each one of us specific roles to fulfill in that family unit. We'll start off today by talking about the beginning of a family, marriage. Dr. John Whitcomb is president of Christian Workman Schools of Theology in Indiana. He explains the biblical blueprint for the family and how Ephesians chapter 5 gives instructions for husbands and wives. Now I'm going to jump down here to verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now that is humanly impossible. I don't want to submit myself to anybody else. Do you? But God says that's the plan. And he gets very specific. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body, and therefore as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now that's contradictory, is it not, to current social trends, even what we call evangelical feminism. Namely, the wife is totally independent of the husband. No, no. Watch the plan. Watch the blueprint here. There's two sides to this. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, there's a standard. Not some kind of a sensual love, but the Greek word here, agape, means a love that is self-sacrificing, doing what is best for the other person in the light of eternity, no matter what the cost or price may be to me. Dr. Thomas Kindle is founder and president of Reasons for Faith Ministries in Eagle Point, Oregon. He says the principle of godly submission does not mean that the wife is of lesser importance than her husband. He explains that the marriage relationship and the specific roles therein are a picture of the eternal relationship that we have with Christ. We see here again uh, spiritual truth. You know, Christ is very clearly taught in Scripture to be equal with God the Father. He is equal in nature. He is equal in his eternal state. They're co-equal and co-eternal. Yet Christ chooses to submit to the Father, even as the woman is equal to man. The woman is made in God's image. That's very clear in Genesis where God created Adam and Eve, and then it says he called them Adam, which means man or mankind. And so it's not a matter of equality, that woman is inferior or man is superior. We are equal in our nature, being made in the image of God. But God's plan... God's role that he has devised is that the woman submits to man, man submits to Christ, Christ submits to God the Father, even though he is equal to it. And so it's a type and shadow of the type of 
submission in love that makes a family and love relationship work. And ICR President Dr. John Morris reminds us how the husband-wife union is a picture of Christ and all born-again believers as his bride. God the Creator knows best, and He created the family. He designed males and He designed females. He designed creation, and He said, this is how it's going to work best. You know, I wonder, it doesn't tell us all the reasoning that God went through, but it does reveal that God looks on the church, the sum total of all born-again folks on planet Earth, and that's the universal church, it's called. And he loves that church, and he died for the church. He sacrificed for the church. He's grooming the church to be a, a bride for Christ, as it were. This is an analogy. We can't fully understand some of these infinite concepts, but God has given us that wonderful analogy of the family to help us understand the relationship that he desires between Jesus Christ and the church. And as a male and a female come together in the oneness of, of Christian matrimony, we can begin to see some of these characteristics being played out. We're told that the husband is to sacrificially love the wife and the wife to submit to the husband. And in this we get that picture that Jesus Christ sacrificially served the church and the church is to love Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. It's an analogy. And the more we understand marriage, the more we appreciate the wonderful love that Christ has for us. Dr. Whitcomb says God's wonderful plan for the family was mapped out for us at the very beginning of creation. Well, what's the basis of all this? We're talking, friends, about the connection of the family to creation. And when you look back in Genesis 1 and 2, you find the foundation for it all. Because here in Ephesians 5.31, Paul concludes by saying, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, quoting, of course, from Genesis 2, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, says Paul. But I speak concerning Christ in the church, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So when you look back at Genesis 1, how God created us in his image and likeness, you can see that just as Christ is our model as husbands and fathers, namely he loved his wife, his bride, the church, so the wife represents, you see, the church in relationship to the husband. A major part of most families in the world is children. Scripture tells us that children are a blessing from God and are to be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Dr. Whitcomb. Children desperately need a father with loving leadership in the home. Children need a mother who loves them and who, and who loves and respects their father. And parents need children who love and obey them. Here's the divine glue that holds us together. Jesus said in John 13:35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. But what happens when God's plan for the family becomes distorted and completely ignored altogether? Well, one evil associated with going against the Creator's design for the family is abortion. Dr. Whitcomb says an unborn child is a human being and should be considered a precious gift from God. Well, of course, we first have to realize that a child begins his or her personal existence at the moment of conception, not somewhere along the line of gestation, no, of pregnancy, at the very moment of conception. Because Psalm 51, David said, In sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, 
I received my sin nature as a person the moment my mother conceived me in the womb. And that is a gift from God. The Bible constantly talks about children are a gift from God. They're his people, bearing his image and likeness from the moment of conception. And therefore, they don't really belong totally to mother or father. They belong to God. Another way God's plan for the family is being degraded is through homosexuality. Dr. Morris says this kind of behavior strikes against God's creation design and his holy image. I think we can understand this as saying that it takes both male and female characteristics to adequately reflect God's image, to warrant that name. But those are the choices, man and woman. God didn't create anything in between. There are those now who, for various reasons, have chosen to violate that God-created order of male and female. And there's all kinds of perversions of that. But in the beginning, God created male and female, and that's the choices, Adam and Eve, and nothing else in between. But it's very interesting to note that evolution is often used to condone homosexuality. It comes from a denial of the obvious creation of things, but they use evolution to justify this sinful behavior. They say, well, this is just a beneficial mutation. Oh, yeah, well, that's what they say. Or maybe it's a genetically controlled thing, that we have a homosexual gene. They, they try to say that this is a, an evolutionary-related thing. But the reality is they are without excuse because God has created man and woman, and that's it, and that's the beautiful thing. And that's what works, and that's how he's designed creation to work. Any distortion of that won't work, but yet they have to go to these illogical thought processes to give a justification for this behavior. The first chapter in the book of Romans tells us how the sin of homosexuality violates God's creation design. Dr. Kendall explains. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So, in essence, God is saying here that man knows the truth, he knows God, he knows he's accountable to God, but even though he knew God, he wouldn't honor God, he wouldn't submit to God, he turned away in rebellion, and God's judgment on them is to allow them to do their wickedness, because it violates their design. And very clearly in this passage, both homosexuality and lesbianism is listed as being unnatural, contrary to the design of God. And the problem with that is, you know, you can't violate your design and get away with it. God made us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows with infinite perfectness what is right and what is wrong. Dr. Morris points out that the abominable practice of homosexuality has led to many other ills in society. The Romans chapter 1 passage says that once you deny creation, you get into this whole list of evils. The first one being homosexual behavior, but as you get through that whole list, you see that it distorts all of society, and it ruins society, but it starts with homosexual behavior. It really goes back to this denial of God's created order and the authority that God has over all of creation. You see, if God really is the creator, if he has designed us to live in a certain way, and we distort that, well, he's the authority. He's the one that sets the rules. He has the authority to set the rules and the authority to set the penalty for breaking the rules. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. And that's the penalty that we're under. We're under the death penalty for our wrong choices and actions. However, as Dr. Morris explains, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all sin and is not willing that any should perish in the lake of fire. 
But the creation story doesn't end with the rejection of creation and the penalty for rejection. But it proceeds to the fact that the Creator Himself came back into creation, Himself to live a sinless life, a life for whom no death penalty was needed, so that He could die for our sins. And that we as sinners can go to God the Father and say, God, I've sinned, I've broken your law, I've, I've distorted your rules, I've rejected your authority, please forgive me, please forgive me on the basis that my sins, the penalty for my sins has already been paid. The wages of sin is death. Christ has died for my sins. Please apply Jesus' death to my particular sins. Forgive me on that basis, and God will respond with, with forgiveness and restoration, and we'll be born again. We'll be born into His family. We'll have eternal life, life with Him forever. The Creator has set it up, and He set it up well. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.